Hello and welcome to another episode of Ear Buddies. Going to rip this band-aid off quickly. I lied last week. Um, I didn't realize I was lying at the time, but that doesn't absolve me. Tim is not here. I said he was going to be. Uh, he's not. He is doing a different thing this week. But look, we got to get something straight here. And I'm not mad. Uh, but when you guys, when the army, I can hear you, you insist upon knowing Tim's whereabouts and what he's occupying his time with every time he's not here, when you do that, it, it takes time from the episode uh, that we frankly can't spare. We only have so much time together each week. And when you essentially force me to do these explanations at the beginning of the episode for why Tim couldn't make it this week, it just it cuts into our time, and our time together is precious. I just have to say that. So I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to spend more time doing that. Okay? Okay. Now we move on. I'd like to start this episode by playing you a tune. Isn't that nice? Isn't that just a lovely voice and a lovely song? You know, the, the only time that most of us hear this lovely voice is around this time of year when the world falls in love and every song you hear seems to say Merry Christmas and may all your dreams come true. But what I'm doing here, the reason why I play this song is not uh, for some sort of seasonal tie-in. What I'm doing, uh, as usual, is sort of flipping the script, um, flipping the, uh, the traditional way of doing things. I, d I don't want to simply talk about this nice little Christmas tune or these nice little Carpenter's Christmas tunes, plural. No, this is, this is simply an excuse for Maddie to talk about something, talk about some people, that it is uh, high time that we take seriously. And I am talking about Richard and Karen Carpenter. We've only just begun to live White lace and promises a kiss for luck and we're on our way. We've only begun. Let's all, uh, let's all take stock for a minute here. Let's reflect. What do you know about the Carpenters? Um, 
I'll help you out. I know you're an everyman. I know that you are not only an everyman, but a straw man that I'm uh, addressing to get my point across. Uh, a classic rhetorical flourish. Uh, you know that they were siblings, probably. You know that they were big in the 70s. Uh, you know that they had some nice Christmas tunes, and you probably you probably enjoy hearing them. Uh, if you know a little bit more, if you are a slightly more well-constructed straw man, you might know that uh, Karen struggled with anorexia, eventually dying at the age of 32 uh, because of heart failure due to complications from anorexia. You might know uh, that she was not only a singer, but a drummer. But that is all that you know. And that is what needs to change. That is what this episode is going to change. Um, because I am tired of it. I'm tired of the Carpenters being relegated to the dustbin of history in that way. In, in the way where we just don't really uh, know anything but the, the highlights. Or even, you know, the lowlights. So, we're going to talk about... Richard and Karen today, and we are not, this is important, we are not going to talk about the lowlights. We're, we're not going to talk about Karen's anorexia. We're not going to talk about uh, the struggles they had growing up or all the sort of the tragedy that kind of uh, casts a pallor on their legacy. Karen and Richard, Richard and Karen, were both real musicians. They were serious people. And especially for Karen, her whole life was spent not talking about the tunes. It really was, in, in a way that she uh, hated. But that's, you know, that's how it was back then, and honestly, it still is today for her and many others. Um, she, like, these guys were a big deal, and she was being asked about her eating habits and the you know the famous men she was dating and not really the tunes and her legacy has also been not talking about the tunes as much as it should be the documentaries and the podcasts in general focus on the tragedy or at least if they if they don't focus on it they can't uh, they can't move it out of the way to focus on the tunes because there is a lot of tragedy there right i get that but i think that richard and karen uh, would want to talk about the tunes. I'm interested in what they were interested in, which is the tunes. What I've got they used to call the blues Nothing is really wrong Feeling like I don't belong Walking around Some kind of lonely cloud Rainy days and Mondays are I know that I've been known among the fans to speak in superlatives and absolutes and hyperbole quite a bit. Um, I'm not going to apologize for it. I, I love music, and I think a lot of things are, are superlative and absolute. Uh, but I'll say, you know, some of that is for 
dramatic effect. That's just podcasting. That's show business. But a lot of it I sincerely believe and sincerely stand by. And I say that uh, to emphasize this point, which is I believe that Karen Carpenter had the best voice in the world. Yeah, that sounds right. I honestly think that she had the best voice in recorded music history. It is... This is. I don't know how long I'm going to spend on this, because it's hard to talk about sound. But you listen to what I just played, and what I will continue to play. Her voice... Um, that's just how it sounds. Like... There was no auto-tune back when they were uh, recording in in the 70s. There was just, like, her voice was just mic'd closely in the studio, and she would often do just one take and crush it. It is is so sublime. The tone is like like, like something that you have never heard except for in Karen's voice. Uh, Paul McCartney, remember him uh, from the Beatles and from a few episodes ago? He said that she had the best female voice in the world. So I'm in good company with my opinion, although I kind of disagree. I think it's the best voice in the world, period. Her, uh, The president of her label, A&M, said that she was like a singer who was sitting on your lap and singing in your ear. It is so close. It is so uh, intimate that i mean it's it's stunning it's uh, you know i'm going to play something else uh this is from a live performance that they gave at the white house it's their song top of the world which is was a a hit for them and this is karen is playing the drums keep in mind she was also a drummer we'll talk about that more later uh but she's singing the lead vocal as well and you can you're about to hear it for yourself but it sounds exactly like the recording such a feeling's coming over me there is wonder in most everything i see not a cloud in the sky got the sun in my eyes and i won't be surprised if it's a dream unbelievable okay so that was just to sort of set the table so we know the talent that we're dealing with here. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about the origins of the Carpenters. Um, Again, not so much as a a family, but as as a group. And I want to also make sure to give Richard his time in the spotlight, uh, which is kind of funny to say now because people talk about Karen again, a lot because of the tragedy and because of her voice. Um, but Richard uh, is often sort of just accepted as uh, a real talent, but n- no one is really fascinated. But I think you should be fascinated. I think we all should be. Um, Richard was the driving force behind the Carpenters. Um, and he started playing music when he was just a lad, just a boy. And the family, the Carpenter's family, his mom and dad and uh, he and Karen, moved to uh, California to let Richard give it a shot, basically. And Karen was not really that involved um, 
I mean, she was a, a child. Um, but Richard uh, was committed to doing this. He wanted to be in the music business. His parents encouraged him. He was very talented. Uh, and as time went on, he <clears throat> got some connections and he got some opportunities and he started playing these tunes. Now, Richard was a composer and a songwriter for sure. Absolutely. He uh, wrote and, and co-wrote a few of the Carpenters' tunes and hits. Um, but he was more really of an arranger. And what this means for the uninitiated is that a lot of the time there were other songwriters who would pitch songs, uh, people like Paul Williams, for example, the the writer of Rainbow Connection and a bunch of Muppets tunes, and Burt Bacharach, and uh, so on and so forth. Richard would hear a tune, and he would say, that sounds good to me, I like the lyrics, I like the melody, and he would arrange it in a way that suited what would become the Carpenter's style. Because at this point, um, Richard was uh, kind of putting together a couple different bands. He was in a few... Um, in his youth, uh, the Richard Carpenter trio was the one that he started first, and that um, that was with Karen and another friend who I forget the name of, but he had Karen playing the drums, because at this point, Karen uh, was into music. Uh, she was a great drummer. Uh, that was her main thing. She considered herself a drummer and knew that she could sing, but didn't really feel confident in her vocal abilities. So she was behind the drum set. Richard was on any number of different keyboards, and they would play um, in the Los Angeles area. They they played at the the Whiskey, a famous rock and roll club in, in Los Angeles, and everybody kind of hated it because, you know, we know the Carpenters are not rock and roll. But they... Uh, they persisted, and after a while, they became the Carpenters, the band, right? Um, and they got signed to a deal, and ended up uh, releasing well a couple a couple flops at first, and then in 1970, uh, the president of their label said, "Guys, would you do me a favor and arrange this tune?" written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David, who's a very famous lyricist from that time, uh, called They Long to Be Close to You. This was written in 1963, uh, but in 1970, the Carpenters released their version, and it uh, was an overnight smash. It rocketed up the charts. Um, it went to number one, and then people started to know about the Carpenters. Why do stars fall down from the sky every time you walk by just like me they long to be close to you on the day that you from that point on it was basically off to the races for the carpenters or rather excuse me for carpenters this is a funny thing. So the band name, I don't know if you guys know this, the band name is Carpenters. So I should just be saying off to the races for Carpenters. 
But that sounds ridiculous. I'm not going to say that. I respect that the band name is, in fact, Carpenters, and that's a piece of bar trivia that you can probably never use. But I'm going to keep saying the Carpenters just for ease of uh, understanding and clarity of expression. So it was off to the races for the Carpenters. They, uh, I mean, they blew up in the middle of this rock and roll uh, time. We had Led Zeppelin, uh, the Beatles, we had The Who, all kinds of sort of melt-your-face-off-at-that-time rock and roll bands. And the Carpenters were basically outpacing all of them at every step of the way. And I I find this, well, (laughs) it's interesting because... Karen now is not known as a drummer by the general public. But again, I will reiterate that she was a, a very, she was a real musician. She was a serious drummer. She preferred to play the drums and she considered herself a drummer. She was professionally trained. She was very talented. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do another thing. I'm going to play another clip. This is from uh, the Carpenter's uh, first television special in 1976. This is Karen just going crazy on the drums. Sometimes it is uh, unfortunate that podcasting is just an audio medium because uh, if you could see this video, she is having the time of her life. She is running all around these different percussion instruments. She's um, just going crazy, and it sounds great. She's in time. She knows what she's doing. This is, this is what's interesting to me, um, among many other things. What you hear there is like... I mean, it's not rock, but that is more of a... It's more energy, drum-wise, than you really ever hear in a Carpenter song. Um, and I've often wondered about that, because her... She had the chops to play, like, fast tempos and heavy beats, and she could have played in an actual, like, rock and roll band. But she was playing in this... Uh, middle of the road that's what the genre is called by the way middle of the road um, which is just the soft uh, adult contemporary type of music where it's uh, easy listening almost right the carpenters are often classified as easy listening which I think is disrespectful but whatever Um, but she was clearly very good at this and uh, she did not really get the chance to show off what she considered her chief talent very much. Even uh, soon after the Carpenters started touring and and being famous, she ended up uh, just taking on the role of the lead singer, and they would have another drummer play. She would leave the drums completely and uh, have to be a front woman, which she said herself she did not love doing. Like, she did not feel very comfortable up there just, you know, with a microphone and nothing else. Um, and even on the, the studio recordings, 
as time went on. Um, they would have session drummers come in. Hal Blaine, who I've, I know I've mentioned before, he was part of the Wrecking Crew. He actually played on a number of their tracks. Um, and not because Karen couldn't, but the, uh, the label was kind of promoting her as the singer. And uh, she, I mean, she says she was fine with that. There's a different technique in studio drumming versus live. That's all fine. But Karen was uh, actually voted in, in 1975. There was a poll from Playboy magazine asking uh, their readers who the best uh, drummer was. And Karen won. She beat out I mean, four of the most famous drummers, Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac, Keith Moon from The Who, Ringo Starr, obviously The Beatles, John Bonham, obviously Led Zeppelin. So people knew that Karen Carpenter was a drummer. Uh, And I said I'm not going to dive into really anything but the tunes. However, I'll mention just in the sake of some cultural interest that there's a lot of, I think, valid um, theorizing that Karen's move from behind the drums, uh, where she felt comfortable, to being uh, the lead singer, where she did not feel comfortable, had quite a bit to do with um, kind of how things fell apart um, down the road. But my point is, it's interesting to me that Karen had this talent on the drums and was playing in such a middle-of-the-road band. Um, but I think that speaks mostly to Richard, because Richard, uh, obviously very talented composer and arranger, and he, I mean, the music that he liked, and the music that he could play, was this very soft, uh, kind of, I mean, keyboard-based music. He would he played a, a Wurlitzer, uh, which is... Well, I'll play. I'll play an example of that. This is the studio version of "Top of the World," which is one of my favorite Carpenter songs. Um, and you can hear, uh, if you listen relatively closely, the arrangement. I mean, the arrangement is stunning, in my opinion. And the harmonies are are beautiful. The harmonies are always beautiful. Karen's voice is always literally perfect. But um, the the drums and the bass are pretty simple. There's a pedal steel in there, but what really gives the song uh, movement and energy is Richard going absolutely berserk on the Wurlitzer. Such a feeling's coming over me There is wonder in most everything I see Not a cloud in the sky Got the sun in my eyes and won't be surprised if it's a dream. That's just one example of Richard's, uh, I mean, musical performing abilities, right? Like that, that sort of keyboard work is, um, mm, you know, really good stuff. But also, you know, he, he wrote, co-wrote that um, and arranged and orchestrated and harmonized the whole thing. Uh, so... Why is that, and why that song, why is that song, and why is uh, Close to You, and Superstar, and even the Christmas songs, why are they 
um, elevator music for us now. I get some of the, I guess, lack of interest or, or lack of um, serious consideration for some of their stuff. For example, one of one of my other favorite Carpenter songs, which is my favorite because it's so funny and in just like it's a weird judgment call, is their cover of uh, Jambalaya. By, it was by Hank Williams. It's a country song. It's a very, like, rough-and-ready, Cajun type of country song. And it really does not work with Karen's syrupy vocals and the smooth, buttery arrangement. So we'll listen to that, we'll have a little chuckle, and then we continue. A good bad Joe, you gotta go me oh my he gotta go pull the pirogue down the bayou I his Yvonne, the sweetest one, me oh my oh Son of a gun, we'll have big fun on the bayou So that's pretty fun. And like I said, I, I understand the dismissal of, I guess, some of it. Like, it was soft it is soft and it, it's um some of it seems like fluff right but i just think that we need to listen to the tunes and take the carpenters seriously in the 70s in 1974 richard gave an interview with rolling stone that i'm not going to quote verbatim because i just don't have it in me to look up the article right now, but he basically said that uh, the rock critics are not giving them the Carpenters' shrift. They're not giving them what they deserve, and that they're un- the Carpenters, he felt, were underrated. And he, he came back, uh, this was just two years ago, had another Rolling Stone interview, and basically repeated that. He said, everyone thought we were, you know, we didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't... Uh, curse we were just uh drinking milk and eating apple pie and and would go to bed at 8 p.m right and that like i know what he means i wasn't alive in the 70s but you hear that kind of music and you think yeah this i mean you can introduce these people to your parents they'll love them you can take them to church uh all kind of just because of the sonic quality of the music and i think that richard was correct in 74 and recently when he said that he feels like the Carpenters are underrated. Because remember, Karen beat out these big-time rock and roll drummers. This was the bands that the critics were interested in were very much rock bands. And the critics, according to Richard, and I take him at his word, the critics were more concerned with uh, that sound and that movement. And the Carpenters had... And no part of that. So they, everyone thought that they were just kind of a flash in the pan and that this was not serious music. This was the beginning of what would soon come to be known as rockism. Rockism, I know, is a, probably a term that we've come across, but it is simply the idea that rock music, uh, with its real authenticity and rawness and... and, and art is superior 
to any other kind of popular music. This is something that started around the time of the Carpenters. I mean, it was officially coined in the very early 80s, but we still, I mean, it's it's all over the place today. There's Critics are getting into fights about it still. Uh, great. I think that is such a juvenile way of looking at, I mean, art in general as a whole, but even more with music to try and artificially elevate a particular genre over another. Um, I don't, I don't really get it. I do understand, um, then and now the impulse to do that because rock has maybe more of an immediacy and definitely more of an excitement than this adult contemporary style thing, right? That kind of music, the Barry Manilow and the Dionne Warwick and John Denver, um, that 70s soft pop stuff is not immediately thrilling to a lot of people, I don't think. And I will admit, I think they're aesthetic Richard's haircut uh Karen's haircut honestly probably worked against them their their uh <laughs> cover for the 1970 album Close to You is terrible all of the, all of their album covers looked like they were getting their picture taken for a church directory that does not i don't think inspire um fervor in rock critics at least not any positive fervor. However, the music that the Carpenters were making was something that people were very much responding to. They they were selling out stadiums. They were going they were on a rock star style stadium tour. Richard was addicted to Quaaludes. Like they were doing all of that except for playing loud guitars and fast drums. But it was serious music. Richard was a serious composer and arranger and writer. Karen was a serious vocalist and a serious drummer. This was the music that they knew how to make and wanted to make, and it was clearly striking a chord, no pun intended if it's in there, with many, many, many people. And it still does today, but it it works now. Uh, as more of a nostalgia thing, right? It's a nice, calming, soothing uh, lullaby almost, right? And I think that it takes some work, maybe, if you're not naturally inclined to liking that sort of thing. But it's sort of like, this isn't a, a perfect example, but when we were talking about Alan Menken, like he's so good... He just hits them out of the park all the time, and we kind of forget um, about the craft that goes into that. We just take it for granted. Um, and But I think what's so beautiful about the Carpenter's music, and honestly what's so beautiful about a lot of this sort of more nuanced and even old-fashioned, I guess, type of soft 70s-style pop, is that you can really really hear all of it you know what I mean like in and I I love I love rock music I love all music but there's a lot of room to hide 
in rock music. And what I mean by that is things are distorted, things are loud, things are fast. Um, it's rough. That's, that's part of the appeal, right? That's the, that's most of the deal. And things get lost literally in the mix. Whereas with this sort of immaculately produced and arranged, uh, close mic recorded, um, softer music, it's all right there for you to hear. And I think if you can listen to any of the Carpenter songs, let's say the hits, let's just, let's just start with the hits. You will hear uh, a depth to these records. You, there's, you will hear intention and clarity of um, thought, musical thought, that I think is just very unique to this exact middle-of-the-road type of genre. Um, and it, it translates for at least the modern ear as maybe nostalgia and maybe a lullaby. But the, the fact that they were making this sort of music at this time, again, like no autotune, what they were doing... And this is part of the uh, the Beach Boys um, magic, where if you're related, if you're siblings, your voices actually do just sound better together. Um, and Richard and Karen would they'd sing, you know, their lines, and then they would overdub their own harmonies uh, a number of times, and and sing the rest of the notes, and it would be like four notes creating this beautiful chord they used these studio techniques to make it sound, um, I guess, the way it does. Whereas with a lot of other stuff that was coming out around that time, especially like punk rock, that started in the 70s, uh, largely as like a backlash. I mean, there were other factors involved, but largely as a backlash to this perfectionism um, in music. With punk, you you barely knew how to play the guitar. You barely knew how to play the drums. You didn't need to. That wasn't the point. But this perfectionism and this attention to detail that the Carpenters uh, were committed to, that's why they sound like that. And I understand that that's also kind of why they sound maybe boring to a lot of people. But I think it is very much worth your time and, if you have to, your effort to meet the Carpenters on their terms, and as always, understand it for um, what it is meant to be, right? The Carpenter songs are terrible rock songs because they're not supposed to be rock songs. I think they're supposed to be exactly what they are, um, and if you can approach that with an open heart and an open mind, uh, your life, why not, will be better for it. I'm going to leave you with um, something I think is just nice. If you don't know about the artist Wise Blood, um, she sounds a lot like the Carpenters. Uh, I don't know if she is taking her cues intentionally from them or not, but this track I'm going to play uh, was released just last year, and you can hear so many of the the same production choices and even melodic and and chordal choices that the carpenters constantly used um i guess i'll uh 
I'll play us out with this. There's no need for a an orchestral ear buddies theme um, because this is a lovely tune, and I hope that it um, inspires you to listen to Karen and Richard not just at Christmas, but year round. Why not get those streaming numbers up for for Karen and Richard? Um, next week we'll be back with a very very exciting episode uh definitely my favorite so far so talk to you then sitting at this party wondering if anyone knows me really sees who Today